You're listening to the Charge Forward audio blog by Chargebacks 911, bringing you the latest in payments and fraud. To learn more about how Chargebacks 911 can help you reduce chargebacks and recover revenue lost to fraud, visit us online at chargebacks911.com. This episode is a replay of a webinar entitled Optimizing the Impact of Recurring Billing and features experts from Chargebacks 911 and Recurly. Okay, we're going to go ahead and get things started here. Um, for those of you expecting to see Rachel quick, I've got uh, what what to me is good news, but it might be bad news to you. Um, I've got Alex Kroll today joining us. Um, thank you for taking the time out of your day. My name is Jared Wright. First, I'm the marketing lead here at Chargebacks 911. For those of you that are unfamiliar with Chargebacks 911, we help merchants by identifying and preventing chargebacks before they happen. And then we help merchants refute the illegitimate chargebacks once they do happen and recover some of that revenue. Um, and as I uh, previously clumsily introduced, uh, Alex Kroll is presenting today from Mercurly. Alex, thank you so much for joining us. Um, do you think you could take maybe a minute or two and tell us a little bit about what Mercurly does? Certainly, Jared. And uh, you know, to your point earlier, um, Rachel's not with us. Apologies for anyone that was expecting to see Rachel, but. Rachel is my boss, so hopefully you are in good hands today. Um, you know, time will only tell. But yeah, I'm Alex Sproul. I'm a customer operations specialist here at Recurly. Uh, my primary function is to make sure our merchants are aware of our best practices, um, understand, you know, and get the most out of their subscription business. And a little background on Recurly, we're a subscription management software. So we enable you the tools to kind of go live with your goods and services. Um, that includes in forms of checkout, uh, fighting churn, um, sending emails to your customers, really just an all-in-one subscription suite for you to go live um, and eventually sell your, your subscriptions to your customers. Okay, that's great. And um, before I get started, I just want to go over real quick how the webinar will be structured. The first part of the webinar will include a short presentation from myself and then from Alex. Um, the portion of the webinar will be fairly visual, so it's important that if, if at all possible, you close other windows and give us um, your attention for that part. Uh, the second portion will, will be uh, Q&A, where we answer many of the questions that were submitted. This portion will be less visual, so it's okay if you just want to kind of listen to that part. Um, please feel free to submit any questions that you have during the webinar. I think there's a little question section on the uh, webinar panel that you have. Um, we promise to answer any question that was submitted. Um, if we can't get to it live, then by email after the webinar. So um, any question you have, go ahead and ask it. We'll make sure we get a good answer out to you. Um, this webinar will be available for replay starting tomorrow. We're going to get those replay links out to you as quickly as possible. Um, not all the Q&A portion will necessarily be included in that recording, however. So uh, we encourage you to stay with us today to get the maximum value out of this event. Um, lastly, this webinar and really any other webinar will eventually be released in audio form on our podcast. Um, so if you're an audio learner and you want to check out this webinar again or maybe previous webinars, uh, just search Charge Forward, all one word, with Chargebacks 911. However, you listen to your podcasts and um, you'll, you'll uh, get a copy of it there as well. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and get started. Um, okay, so uh, Alex, this is the first probably webinar that uh, you've participated in. So um, something that I like to do uh, for, for people that have uh, been to some of these in the past is I, I like to start the webinars with what I call a dumb question. Um, I started this because I was realizing that I was having this opportunity to speak to all these different subject matter experts from different parts of the industry. And I realized that uh, sometimes I was a little bit afraid to ask 
dumb questions. And so I sort of made a commitment to myself to start a webinar by asking a question sort of fearlessly without feeling uh, dumb. And uh, so do you mind if I, if I kind of um, ask you a dumb question to get things started today? Jared, no dumb questions here. Ask me, <laughs> ask me anything. <laughs> okay, great. I actually thought I did. I went to your website and I was trying to think of a, a kind of a sophisticated dumb question, but then I realized that that was probably uh, against the idea, and not in the spirit of the dumb question. So, um, uh, really, the question I have, and, and you know, I realized that the recurring billing can be a very complicated topic, but for somebody that's not a merchant that's sort of dealing with all of this stuff on a daily basis, it's it sometimes doesn't seem that complicated to me. I know that uh, most merchant accounts just by default and uh, most uh, shopping carts and most, I mean, I think even PayPal has, uh, it's pretty easy to set up a recurring billing or automatic billing through through PayPal. Mm -hmm. So um, so what is it, you know, that that somebody like me, when when I think about recurring billing and it seems simple, what is it that I'm missing? Um, what 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 value do does Recurly offer that um, that that isn't maybe obvious? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it really all comes back to the predictable revenue stream, right? It's it's getting your customers on a cadence of billing that can be predictable. And if we kind of look back in time, right? Subscriptions have been around for a long time. Um, I would you know consider the home mortgage as the original subscription. Right. It could be a 15 year or 30 year. They've got you locked in and you're paying on a monthly basis. Um, so subscriptions, you know, they don't have to be complicated, but it's really the revenue stream that companies are gearing towards. Um, a lot of folks like um, recurring revenue because it's easy to set up in terms of configuring your goods and services. And it's also easy to get your subscribers kind of hooked on um, the goods and services that you're selling. Um, a lot of times if we go digital, there's no brick and mortar required and allows us uh, you know, really to manage everything from a billing platform. So your tech stack becomes optimized. And you know, I get that subscriptions can be intimidating. If you're kind of switching from maybe a Shopify model, selling one-off products, I mean, what if you bundled those into kind of a box of the month type subscription? So it's totally possible to kind of massage your goods and services into a subscription offering. I wouldn't be intimidated by it, um, and it's certainly possible. That's great. I like that uh, consistent uh, billing. I think that that's a that's a key thing for a lot of merchants. Yeah. Um, and and I I, th I think and I don't have any stats, and maybe you know. I, I don't want to throw a curveball at you at the top, but um, I'd imagine that um, there's been studies that have done that have talked about sort of the lifetime value of a customer in a straight sale versus a recurring billing model. And and I'd imagine that recurring billing has the potential to to really maximize. I know that I spend a lot more on design software than I used to because. Um, you know, Adobe switched to recurring billing. Is that is that is that something sort of across the board? Is that one of the benefits that that a, a lot of merchants are seeing? I mean, absolutely. Um, you know, look what Apple Music and Spotify did several years ago. Um, mm. They kind of took the let's pay for pay for things on a song by song basis to okay, you don't own any of those songs anymore, but you can pay us on a monthly basis to have access to everything. Um, right. I know I've I'm I'm a subscriber of that, but yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. Um, you know, it's it's a fantastic way to increase that lifetime value, um, increase your subscriber count. And you look at, you know, monthly plans versus annual plans. There are many different ways to level up your customers and incentivize them to sign up for a recurring basis. And then when you get marketing and advertising involved um, and keep the customer engaged, there's really no reason to leave if you're finding value in the product. 
That's great. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, some people, I, I know that I've had subscriptions. Um, I mean, Spotify is one of them where I, I intended to cancel. I didn't for probably a year I, I paid. So I know they made, uh, they made more off of me than I, that I utilized the service. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to get started here. I'm going to uh, talk about something a little, I, I'm going to be a little more abstract, I think, than Alex is going to be. But um, and this this first part is going to be a huge oversimplification. Um, but I want to say at the at the root of any subscription business or really any business um, is an effort to reduce revenue leakage. Um, you want to essentially be able to pour more water into the bucket faster uh, than the rate that it leaks out through the holes. And if you do that, then you're revenue positive. Um, and there's always a lot of holes in the bucket. I mean, let's be realistic. Running a business is complicated and expensive. But there's three holes that I'm going to talk about today that are the ones that most subscription businesses spend a lot of time thinking about. The first one is uh, uh, preventing chargebacks before they're filed. Um, businesses are always interested in, you know, how to get that total number as low as possible, either in in just sort of net chargebacks or um, in, uh, you know, trying to get that chargeback ratio as low as possible. Um, and then an, another area that uh, businesses spend a lot of energy on is effectively refuting chargebacks once they do happen so that they can at least cover um, the revenue lost. Because as we know with subscription billing, a lot of times um, that chargeback, you don't just get one chargeback, you get you know, potentially up to six, 12 chargebacks for all of the billing that you've done uh, for that merchant. So um, you know, being able to recover that revenue is, uh, has a lot of value. Uh, for merchants. And then the, the last one is reducing churn and growing the average lifetime value of the customer as much as possible. <clears throat> and what I want to talk about is sort of the interrelation between those three things. And um, and I'm not sure if it's a specific cartoon, but I have I have a memory of a lot of different cartoons where they sort of use the, like, let's say a mouse that goes up to, uh, uh, you know, something that's leaking like a dam that's got a hole, it's, water's pouring out of it, and they stick their finger in it, and then another hole immediately springs up. Um, I'd like to say that there's a relationship between these three elements um, that's very similar to that. If you spend too much effort focused on one concern, you may worsen the situation uh, with another concern. Um, and then uh, for merchants that use automated billing, it's important that they take a holistic approach to the way that they think about chargeback management and identify the right balance for their business. Um, <clears throat> In marketing, we talk a lot about the idea of A-B testing. Um, you know, for example, will more people click on the button if it's red or if it's blue? And for me, when it comes to chargebacks, A-B testing is equally as important. Just like the color of a button, um, you know, our intuition can be ill-equipped to provide us with accurate insight into the ultimate impact of our decisions. We have to be willing to try different things so that we can collect real data about, you know, what, what the right solution is. Um, so Alex is going to talk about specifics, like I said, in a little bit, um, but, but I'm going to speak more abstractly specifically because, you know, hopefully my goal is just to give you some tools that you can reframe some of the ways that you've been thinking about these issues and, uh, you know, kind of address uh, some of the, the, the different levers within your business to, to maximize your revenue. Um, okay, so now in order to make my point, it's important that we talk about the reasons chargebacks happen just sort of on a macro level, right? So if you take every chargeback that you've ever gotten or that any business has ever gotten, for the most part, you can fit them easily into one of three buckets. Um, criminal fraud, uh, third-party fraud, stolen credit cards, stuff like that. Merchant error, so that, that is to say you as the merchant did something that made the uh, chargeback happen, or friendly fraud, which is the, the consumer is filing an illegitimate chargeback because they're dissatisfied or because they're trying to get something for free. 
Um, <clears throat> today, I'm going to throw away uh, criminal fraud uh, for two reasons. One, because it's, it just sort of complicates the, the issue, but also because uh, as a recurring billing um, so, uh, uh, company, you probably don't have a, much of a criminal fraud liability. Um, so so for, with these two buckets, one of the things that, that I try to emphasize is that it's better to think about those two buckets as a spectrum, um, because the truth is that most chargebacks contain some element of merchant error and some element of friendly fraud. So if we sort of rename the extreme cases, uh, chargeback fraud and merchant fraud, and merchant fraud being, you know, for example, those companies on, on uh, I, I assume they're on everybody's Facebook, but they're on my Facebook a lot where they sell something and it's far too good of a deal and you know that you're going to get some some real generic knockoff in your mail in like six months once you don't have the ability to, to file a chargeback anymore. Um, that's an example of merchant fraud. And then the example of chargeback fraud, the extreme example is that somebody was trying to get something for free. Somebody um, you know, bought something and then they just, with the intention, they, they contacted their bank just to see if they could refute it and get that money back. Um, <clears throat> now, everything else in the vast majority of chargebacks falls somewhere in the middle. Um, and all chargebacks on the left side of the spectrum are preventable. Merchants, the, as a merchant, there's something you can do, there's a change that you can make to reduce that type of chargeback. And then all chargebacks on the right side of the spectrum are representable, which means that a uh, merchant will likely win a properly documented um, response. Um, now, here, here's the important part, because I think that this is the thing that most people miss. There's a large area in the middle where both the merchant and the consumer share some of the responsibility. So that is to say the, the, the merchant can do something to prevent the chargeback, um, but they would also probably win if they um, refuted the chargeback and they would have that uh, revenue returned to them. Um, what's important to understand, when, when we talk about friendly fraud, and I think when you think about friendly fraud as a liability, that you think about everything that's under that representable chargeback. So essentially all the orange and all the yellow is friendly fraud. Um, a, a major key to successful chargeback management strategy is making a decision about whether it's better to prevent the dispute, um, uh, prevent the chargeback or uh, refute the chargeback um, that falls somewhere in the middle of that spectrum. In uh, many cases, merchants will decide it's better to, to, to refute the, the few chargebacks that you get uh, um, than take the necessary steps to prevent them. And so it's sort of sort of a little counterintuitive because I think most merchants think, well, I'm, I'm just going to prevent as many chargebacks as possible. So let me give you some examples, and, and this will sort of set this up, and I'll tie this back into the A-B testing thing that I, that I think is, is pretty important. Um, <clears throat> so this is where A-B testing comes in. I'm going to give you... A, just a few examples. The first is uh, billing notifications. I'm sure that everybody talks about this a lot, and I'd, I'd be happy to, I'd be interested to kind of have Alex weigh in on this. But um, reminding customers a few days ahead of each charge will, will reduce the number of chargebacks that you receive, point blank. Um, but will also likely increase cancellations. Notifying them after each charge may prevent some chargebacks, but also decrease the number of second and third rebills. And if you choose not to notify customers at all, you'll likely maximize profit. Uh, but you also incur a lot of chargebacks. So the key here, and this is just this is a real basic example, but the, the key here is to identify an option that's the best fit for your product or offer, and um, there really is no universally right solution. So, so the best practice from a chargeback prevention standpoint is notify ahead of billing. Um, the best uh, practice for reducing churn is to, to not notify or notify after billing. Um, but this is where A-B testing can kind of come in because, um, you know, we may assume, hey, if we notify 
before billing, we're going to you know, increase churns. But you may do that and you may realize that it doesn't really increase churn, especially if you're careful about the way that you do it and you use it as an opportunity to remind them of the value of the product that you provide, product or service. Okay, <clears throat> so this is another one. This one um, is about language. And the idea basically is that language and expectation matter both for churn and for chargebacks. Um, and this this example on the screen is a little tongue-in-cheek, but it illustrates the impact that language can have on both sales and chargebacks. And the idea of using hyperbole, exaggerations, or flat-out lies, I mean, it's always been a part of advertising. Um, just look at a photo of a hamburger and a fast food menu. If they sold Whoppers online, they would probably be dealing with a lot of chargebacks, uh, given that what a Whopper actually looks like when you get it versus what it looks like in the picture. Um, merchants should consider how the language they uh, use creates expectations. Um, you'll, you will decide that some exaggerations are necessary, like in the, the example. You don't want to say, this fragrance smells good to some women. That's not going to sell fragrance. Um, however, you know, there are other examples where you could overpromise or you could create an expectation that will ultimately turn into a liability. And this is where A-B testing is essential because when we look at it, when we, when we audit a customer, we work with a customer, um, it's really something that we notice is it's really difficult to anticipate how changes may impact things. Um, and more and very common, one of the things that we find is that a specific phrase or often something like a guarantee um, that you think is driving sales um, is actually just causing chargebacks. So if if you're overselling upfront or if there's something that you're doing, um, you know, that, that you know has some potential to create customer dissatisfaction, um, you know, Try, try, try a different uh, phrase, a different, um, you know, uh, sales page, something like that, and then see if your assumptions about that phrase or that wording um, really play out. Uh, a lot of times, what you find is that maybe people really don't make decisions based on a guarantee or based on um, some, you know, the most comfortable pillow ever guaranteed or something like that. Um, so, so that's that's something that it's important to think about. Um, <clears throat> And the last example is around another area of friction. I have a picture of a return box, and I know that, um, well, I guess with subscription boxes and stuff, I guess the, uh, people can return it. But um, the, the basic idea is the same. You're, if your only goal is to prevent all of the chargebacks that you can, you'll make it very easy for customers to cancel their subscriptions. Um, and even as go as far as to refund recent billing cycles uh, if the customer requests it. Um, that's that's you know if if your top goal is to prevent people from filing uh, any type of chargeback ever, then that's what you do. You make it uh, one-click cancellations, and uh, if they call to complain, then you uh, refund um, the you know some past billing as well. Um, but conversely, if your only goal is to reduce churn, you would probably make it harder. That's when you get into the things where you have you you know you have to cancel 30 days notice in writing, blah 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 blah. Um, and and that's there's tension between those two poles, and I think that probably is a real clear example of what, what I'm trying to talk about here. And um, because there, there really are, there really are two knobs that you can, um, that are at your disposal and there really is no right answer. So for, for one business, it might be to make cancellation a little bit harder um, so that, so that, you know, you, you get more lifetime value out of those uh, customers. But for a lot of businesses, what you'll find is that uh, um, you, you'll want to, uh, you want to make it at least, at least possible for people to cancel. Um, and one of the reasons for that uh, is, is you know, being realistic about the cost of a chargeback. I think I should have had this stat ready, but it's something. It's three. It, it, it bounces around. Um, there's a 
a fraud study um, that that comes out once a year, and they do a they, it's called a fraud multiplier, and it's anywhere from two uh, two times to I think I think the last one was almost three and a half times, so 350 percent. So for every dollar of fraud, there's there's a hidden you know two dollars and fifty cents uh, of additional cost, um, <clears throat> and so. And so that when you look at it, and you, you may think, okay, well, I've got a $60,000 liability, but then um, you know once you factor in all of the sort of additional costs uh, that that chargeback costs you, um, you, you'll realize that it's significantly more. Um, so when you're doing this A/B testing and you're trying to figure out what that speed, sweet spot is, I think it's important that you realize, look, a uh, churn is is you know on a one-to-one -one basis is far less expensive than chargebacks. Um, but you have to be, you know, a lot of times the things that can can reduce churn, um, you know, may not increase uh, chargebacks proportionately. So you just have to kind of make sure that you do that math correctly. Okay. All right. So that's that's it. That's my presentation. I'm going to throw this over to Alex. Here, Alex, let me give you a mouse control. Fantastic, Jared. You can hear me okay? Yeah, you sound great, man. Awesome. Awesome. Well, yeah, let's let's dive right into it. So I've got a bit of a loaded question off the bat. Um, you know, what is good churn? So, you know, Jared kind of alluded to how do we avoid chargebacks in the first place? And I guess in the most literal sense, good churn is getting folks off of your platform that really never meant to pay in the first place or, you know, maybe we're just testing out the, the software, right? We don't want to end up in a situation where someone's calling into support. Um, support, you know, maybe is not, um, having the best experience with the customer and the customer then goes on to make a, a dispute on the charge, right? We don't want to end up in that place. Um, but in terms of, you know, churn, there are two different types. There's involuntary and voluntary. Today, we're going to be talking about involuntary, but just to touch on what voluntary is, that's when someone leaves your platform uh, voluntarily, right? They, you know, maybe they signed up for a free trial. They got what they needed and they left. Maybe they had just a couple months for a business reason and they're gone, right? There's nothing you can do about that, right? And uh, maybe it's on a negative sense, right? Maybe you're in a really competitive industry. Uh, people are leaving to go to your competitors because they feel they have a better offering. Uh, maybe your product just isn't as sticky as it could be. Um, you know, in reality, some products are just not as sticky as others, right? It's just, just based off of the industry that you're in. Uh, but today we're going to be talking about involuntary churn. So that's the things you can do, the things we can help you with to avoid customers leaving your platform for reasons other than, um, you know, them saying I'd like to cancel. So right off the bat, let's get into some benchmarks here. So looking at your churn, and if you haven't already figured out what your churn is or you don't have a dashboard for this, definitely recommend calculating it. And I've got a slide here um, in just a few minutes to give you an idea of how to do that. But we're looking at about 5% for B2B, 7% for B2C, and just about 5.6% for all industries. Now, keep in mind, this includes both involuntary and voluntary. So on the call here, if you've got an idea of what you're looking at, double check, see if you're falling in line with these benchmarks. Obviously, we can drill down even further within B2B, you know, depending on type of industry, but this is generally where you should fall in line. So let's talk about, you know, when it comes to involuntary churn, let's talk about proactive and reactive elements uh, to help fight it, right? Effectively, uh, you know, managing your declines is a two-prong approach. I like to call it, uh, 
you know, it's, it's kind of one step on the proactive side and then two steps on the reactive side. And we'll get into all of that here in the coming slides. So proactive first, right? So imagine, uh, you know, we've signed up for a box of the month and we're a couple months into our subscription. Maybe it's, it's on a monthly basis at $20 a month. That's the, the example we'll use going forward. This is before I'm going to renew my subscription, right? This is a proactive attempt to make sure we've got the most up-to-date card information, make sure that customer is happy and they're ready to go by the time that the renewal happens. So the first bullet point here, the first couple is all about communicating with your customers. So communication before renewals, uh, before a free trial expires is absolutely critical. Um, as Jared mentioned, you know, we don't wanna end up in a chargeback situation because of our lack of communication. In some cases, it's even required. Uh, you know, some of you may be familiar with the visa free trial mandate that was, um, you know, kind of at the top of everyone's mind in Q3 of 2020, um, where you basically have to give your customers notification that, hey, your free trial is ending, right? Um, you know, everyone's kind of been there one way or the other where you sign up for something, uh, maybe your spouse signed up for it, maybe your children did, and then you all of a sudden get hit with that $20 charge and you have no idea where it came from. Right, that could be from a lack of notification or it could be from someone else signing up for the account. So it's always important to send that communication. So on the proactive side, we're talking about, you know, before your renewal, maybe seven days prior, we have a, hey, um, your renewal's coming up. We wanna make sure everything is up to date. This is what your invoice is going to look like. And it's also a good way to give a plug for updating your card information, right? You know, a lot of what we see here at Recurly is involuntary churn due to expired cards. Um, and we'll get to that in a few bullet points. But if we can send the customer a notification saying, hey, make sure your card information's up to date, and they really care about updating, they'll go in, they'll click that call to action, and they'll update their billing information. Um, so communication, communication, communication. So if you're using a tool like Recurly, something in your tech stack to help you enable this process, highly encourage leveraging that or putting something in place right now. The second element uh, is, is really technology-based and that's called the account updater. Now, everyone that signs up for a credit card, whether it's Visa, MasterCard, Amex, or Discover, any of the big four, you're uh, signing up for something called the account updater. This is where seven days before a renewal, um, the merchant has the ability to obtain the most up-to-date card information for that particular card. What this does is automatically take a cohort of your customers that were destined to fail when it comes time for that renewal and place them in a bucket that's more, more likely to succeed. It's, it's a huge low-hanging fruit for merchants that are looking to proactively combat um, possible involuntary churn. In Recurly, this is just an on-off switch, um, but you know, it's, it's probably available on other platforms as well but it's just a way for you to make sure that card has the most up-to-date information. And we see a huge revenue lift uh, from the account updater. There's also expiration date forwarding. So if you're working with a uh, you know, subscription management tool that can ping the card, um, and if it senses that it's got an, a, an exp expiration date that is in the past, it'll just forward it you know, another four or three years. And then a lot of the time that allows the card to become successful. So leverage this technology. It's really low-hanging fruit to help your customers have a better experience, right? We've all been in that situation where, you know, maybe we're signed up for Netflix and the subscription is going to cancel. You sit down with your family. You're going to watch the latest movie that came out. Maybe it's Disney Plus and you're watching The Mandalorian. Um, 
and then all of a sudden you can't watch it because the card is out of date. Maybe a new one was issued. Um, so you have to jump on the laptop, make some updates. Another element here is don't block cancellation. So this one's pretty simple. Um, and Jared alluded to this earlier as well, but you know, make it easy for your customers to cancel their subscriptions. Um, you know, communication, communication, communication kind of plays into this, but we want to make it easy. We don't want to give them steps X, Y, and Z with a couple ads in between. Make it easy. It just gives the customer a better experience. And, you know, especially for our, our colleagues that, you know, might not be as tech, you know, technologically uh, savvy, they're going to have trouble getting through all of those steps. And then that's going to lead to a possible bad experience where they're phoning into support, possibly even escalating to a uh, chargeback. Another approach is to allow your subscribers to pause. So if they go in and try to cancel their subscription, maybe ask them if they'd like to pause for a couple months. I'm going to dive a little bit deeper into this in a few slides, but you know, we saw this a lot during COVID. Uh, at the beginning of COVID, we really had a lot of requests from our merchants like Sling TV and BarkBox about pausing subscriptions, right? The customer acquisition cost is far too great to lose that subscriber than just giving them a couple months free. Plus, it's, it's probably the right thing to do. Um, you know, but the, the big point here is to become technologically enabled um, to, to process these best practices on a proactive um, basis. So let's jump into a reactive strategy. So back to our example, I'm, I'm a box of the month, I'm paying $20 a month. Now my payment has successfully declined, right? So now I'm in the reactive element. And there's a couple different stages to this. The first is retrying the payment. So you've got a kind of a basic side to this and an advanced side. A basic side is uh, kind of creating retry logic that is called static. So we might be trying the card maybe at 4 p.m. every day on a cadence of maybe three business days, okay? That's not always gonna be the best, right? There are hundreds and hundreds of different decline reasons. Um, sometimes even trying a card in the middle of the night will lead um, to a higher percentage of failure than trying in the middle of the day. Um, people get paid typically on certain days of the month. Maybe it's the 15th and the 30th. If the decline rate reason is insufficient funds and your specific uh, static retry logic is not set to uh, try that card until the 16th, um, you know, you're going to have less of a, of a probability of accepting the payment. Now, if we look at advanced, we're looking at dynamic retry logic. So think of this as kind of a wavy um, dotted graph. So this is the ability to take the static, throw it out the window and say, I'm going to try the card based off of the logic of the transactions that I've built. And that's what Recurly does. Um, so if we've got a decline rate of insufficient funds, you know, maybe we're going to try the card right on the 16th. Maybe we're going to try it right on the 1st. Um, if it's a temporary hold and it was tried at 2 a.m., maybe we're going to try it at 6 a.m. Um, to, to kind of get the best um, ability to retry that card. So that's what it comes down to is we want to improve your ability to successfully try the card on renewal. Um, so this all comes back to an optimal retry schedule, and it really comes back to, you know, the software that you're using, right? Is a subscription management tool? Who is the tool? What does their retry logic look like? Um, and so forth. The other element to this on an advanced strategy is uh, gateway failover in in-app messaging. So messaging back to our previous slide, you know, let the, let the customer know uh, within your app. You know, if you're heavily mobile based, let the customer know, hey, your renewal's coming up or maybe even your payment was declined, right? 
Um, this may lead to some voluntary cancellation as the customer finds out they don't need the app, but the majority of the time it's helping the customer to update on their own. And then once that update has occurred, it's, a, it's triggered in the software to go ahead and try the card again. And then gateway failover, this one's really cool. And when you have two gateways enabled, if the first one unsuccessfully tries the transaction, the second gateway can try the transaction. And typically you'll get a success from the secondary that you weren't able to find in the, uh, in the primary. Now the other act, uh, excuse me, the other element to reactive is our dunning, right? So in Recurly, we separate dunning from retry. So dunning is all about what you as the merchant are doing to contact your customers when an invoice is past due. So we got to capitalize on that failed invoice. We do not want to lose this customer to involuntary churns. We're going to do everything we can to communicate with the customer and make sure that um, you know we've exhausted all of our options before we say goodbye to that customer. So there are a few different elements to this. Um, first off is your email cadence. So how many emails are you sending? Um, at what you know pace are you sending them? Are you business to business or business to customer, right? That's going to determine how often you should send emails. So let's say my dunning period for this uh, box of the month is maybe 14 days. I'm sending an email because it's B2C every four days. So every four days, I'm letting my customer know, hey, your payment has been declined. You are past due and your subscription is at risk of canceling. And then it also depends on the verbiage that's included in my email copy. So is it really pressing? Is it pretty passive? Do I sound like a robot, right? Um, we've all been there where we receive past due email, uh, email notifications from a merchant where it just kind of sounds like a robot speaking at you. There's no first name or maybe even the parameters in the emails are broken. So it says, hi, first name. Uh, you don't want any of that going on. You want your logo and you want to make it sound like speak your brand, right? Make sure you have a call to action. So a CTA that says update my billing information. Remove as much friction from the, uh, the, process, the process as possible um, and make sure we give our customers the best opportunity to update their billing information. Um, the other thing is don't uh, you know, have this send back to you. So if they reply and say, well, I don't wanna update my billing information, I wanna cancel. Make sure that doesn't just go off to some group inbox somewhere. Make sure it's going back to a personal address. Um, at my previous company, that address would come to me. That way they know they're dealing with someone personable and that way I can get ahead of possible chargebacks before they happen, right? Customer is king and we wanna make sure they're happy. We don't want this to lead to a possible bad review. We don't want it to lead to, you know, really any kind of negative um, experience. And then finally, A-B testing. So this is very important. Um, you can A-B test your dunning process. Make sure, you know, there obviously there are many elements at play. Make sure those elements are working. And if they're not, iterate on them, right? Look at the benchmarks that Recurly provides to iterate um, on your Dunning best practices. Just a couple other best practices before we uh, continue here. We talked a little bit about gateway failover, but there are a couple other options. You can even A-B test with gateways um, when it comes to initial signups. So let's say you had your box of the month and then you had maybe your annual box of the month. So let's say I want to send my different products to different gateways. Um, gateways can be routed based off of product, currency, and uh, geo. So there are three different ways for you to see, okay, what gateway is best for my business? Um, and then custom gateway routing, right? So 
you know, looking at gateway failover in terms of new signups. Um, if that original gateway fails, have them route to the secondary gateway. The other element to this is alternative payment methods. Um, biggest one I can think of here is PayPal, right? If your customers come to your checkout page, they only see Amex, uh, Discover, uh, you wanna provide them with the ability to use PayPal. Uh, maybe Amazon Pay, maybe Venmo Pay. So expanding your ability to accept payments. If you're maybe a business to business tool and you've got a really high dollar amount, maybe even provide direct debit. Um, that's, you know, direct debit is something I'm pretty passionate about. And that's something that's hit the marketplace really hard the last few years is, you know, automating that process. So how can I pay an invoice online with my banking and routing information, um, which is really cool. Um, so all of this together is really meant to help you reduce your churn. But first off, we need to know what our churn is. So I've included a, you know, a couple different calculations here on how to find your churn. If you haven't, feel free to screenshot this slide. I'm sure they'll be sent out afterwards as well. Uh, but you know, definitely find out your churn, see where you fall in those benchmarks, and then let's see where we can improve it. Um, churn, you know, commonly can be seen as, you know, okay, I saved one subscriber, I saved, you know, that $20 a month uh, box of the month. But really, it's much more than that. It's compounding, right? If we've got a customer that's at risk of failure today, and we successfully process them. There's no telling how many months in the future that customer will stay with us. So it's extremely important to just dive into this topic now. It's revenue directly back to your business um, and it's compounding, right? So just think of the future transactions that could be successful if we can get a, sec a successful one today. So what are our outcomes here? Um, you know, in Recurly, we like to say that we can save you up to 75% of those failed invoices. This can lead to up to a 12% lift in overall revenue um, and reduction of up to a percent in your churn rate, which is huge. I mean, it's absolutely huge. And just in 2020, Recurly helped its merchants save just over $550 million um, due to this two-pronged proactive and reactive um, recovery, uh, excuse me, revenue recovery strategy. Um, and with that, Jared, um, that's all I've got. Yeah, that was that was great. Five hundred fifty million dollars. That's a, that's a lot of million dollars. Um, it's, it's pretty incredible. Yeah. I, listen, I want to I want to go back and uh, touch it on a point because it, something you were talking about there. You were talking about personalization and email and stuff, and it reminded me of a sort of an anecdote that sometimes I tell when I talk talk to uh, merchants about. Um, you know, sort of thinking creatively about chargeback reduction and churn reduction. And um, we, we, we were working with a, with a merchant and they were kind of up around that high risk uh, uh, payment threshold where their, their chargeback uh, rate was, was real high and they were starting to have some real consequences um, because of that. And so they, they, they wanted to bring down chargebacks and we implemented, you know, a lot of the normal things. And um, we also talked to them about the idea of, um, you know, notifying their merchants ahead of, the billing cycle, um, because that was obviously one of the things that they could do, since since there was so much value in reducing that that chargeback rate. And um, for obvious reasons, they were not receptive to that idea at all. Um, and uh, you know, but they were sort of in a position where they didn't have a lot of options. And so what they ended up doing, and I, I think it's it sort of exemplifies, you know, how thinking outside the box, or you know, really how approaching a, 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 a problem from a different angle can provide some creative solutions. Because they took um, 
content that they were already creating, you know, these emails, these uh, landing pages, this, these articles, this content, um, you know, that was designed to go towards prospects. So when they had a new feature, for example, they were spending a lot of energy creating, you know, these these you know, really great looking emails that they would send out to the people in their database. And they were, you know, constantly looking at ways to to reframe the different value propositions. Um, and then, um, you know, th these these they used a lot of that same content but they just sort of changed it a little bit for the uh, rebuild notification. So instead of the rebuild notification being, you know, something like a robot would send, you know, you're going to be billed on the 13th, blah, 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 thank you for your business. Um, they did these, you know, really nice, uh, uh, every month was different um, email notifications that really reminded the consumer of the value that they were getting out of their product. And so instead of saying, hey, reminding them about the billing notification that was in there, they were really reminding the customer of the value of the product. And, um, you know, I think ultimately, I don't know what the stats were exactly, but ultimately the uh, the reduction in uh, churn was negligible, if any. I mean, it was, it was pretty much imperceptible and it, it, it almost cut their chargeback rate in half. So it was um, it was a huge success. And and the, the great thing about it from my point of view is that they didn't need to spend any additional effort because they were already creating these emails, they were already creating this language and, and, and these graphics um for 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 their sales team so um they didn't they didn't need to create any additional ones so um all right let's go ahead and get into these questions um uh, first question is uh how should i measure my win rate with regard to chargebacks and what is a good win rate um there's really no um you know there's there's no clear answer here I don't, there's no uh, you know universal good win rate um what i would generally say is 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 look as a recurring billing if you are fighting the uh, vast majority of your chargebacks, right, and you're winning a, a significant majority of the ones that you fight, then you're in good standing, okay? If, if you're not fighting a vast majority, so if you're only fighting, let's say, you know, a third or a half or, you know, what, what you deem to be the easy to win or easy to identify as a legitimate chargebacks, um, and then, you know, or if, if, if you're winning, you know, anywhere less than 50%, then I think that you're on the, the negative side of it. But again, that just it varies from business to business. That's just sort of the general rule of where where um, where we expect and we we want uh, merchants to hope to be. Um, <clears throat> all right, this next one is uh, how to best manage cancellation issues. Um, Alex, did you have some ideas for this one? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so managing cancellation issues. I mean, there there's so much to to unpack here. Uh, you know, on a proactive basis, you know, it comes back to what we were discussing earlier, and that's communication communication with your customers, letting them know before renewals that, hey, your subscription is about to renew, letting them know before a free trial ends that, hey, your, your free trial is going to end. Um, so just being transparent, right? Being, being a good business partner to your customer in terms of letting them know that you're on the same page. And then when it comes time to cancel, right? There's always going to be folks that cancel, right? That's the reality of the situation. When it comes time for them to cancel, give them an easy way to do so, but also give them that option to pause the subscription. Okay, provide those alternative measures, pausing and postponing. Uh, this was really big during COVID, as I mentioned earlier, um, and still is big today. It's just a great way, just a, an extra protection barrier, so to speak, before that cancellation happens. I mean, if, if you'd like to speak more on this, I'm sure my information will be out there, uh, but I'd, I'd love to go into specifics of, of what exactly your company is doing to combat this. That's great. Um, 
Okay, and then um, what can we do to reduce chargebacks on recurring billing? Well, this this is a lot. I mean, this is, you know, we, we talked a lot about this today. I, you know, I would say, look, if 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 you're, um, it depends on what the reason is. If if what you're trying to do is reduce chargebacks because you're anywhere near a threshold, so you're trying to reduce chargebacks. Um, so that you know you, you don't get in trouble, you don't start having uh, fines or fees, or you don't need to you know um, go with a high risk merchant account or anything like that. You don't want to be categorized as a high risk business. Um, then there are some tools that are available that are fairly easy, and um, you know there's a couple from the card schemes, um, and those are great because they eliminate some of the sort of uh, false positives with criminal fraud, and those tend to be the most difficult chargebacks, but basically they give you the opportunity to provide additional information to the to the issuing bank uh, when somebody tries to refute a charge. So somebody calls their bank, they say, hey, I didn't make this charge. Um, you're able to provide them, no, well, this is what this is for. Um, you're able to sort of clear up some of the communication issues that can call in cause sort of inadvertent criminal fraud chargebacks. Um, and then we also have um, a, a series of products that are alert products that the same thing, they, they go to the, they file a chargeback, but it gives you the, the ability to, to avoid the chargeback if you're willing just to refund the, um, the transaction. Um, and in some cases, you can actually just uh, cancel the subscription. But, um, but, but those, uh, uh, those products are, um, are, 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 are real good at reducing the, the number of chargebacks that you get. Um, but you know, they're not, they're not necessarily, um, for every business. So one of the things that we do when we talk to merchants, we kind of figure out what their reason is for wanting to reduce chargebacks. If you want to reduce chargebacks just to, just to save revenue, then, um, really it goes back to uh, all the things that Alex was talking about, about, you know, what customer expectation is that you're providing good customer service, that you're making it easy for them to, uh, to cancel if, if they'd like to cancel. And uh, some of the other things that we've talked about today. All right. Um, how do annual recurring billing best practices differ from monthly? Somebody had a question. It was a great question. I thought I, I don't know if they're on the the, the webinar today, but um, they were saying that usually when people talk about recurring billing, they're talking about monthly. That's just the thing that everybody talks about. Um, but I know that a lot of companies do, um, you know, especially in the B2B space, they do uh, annual recurring billing. So, so does does a lot of the stuff you talked about today does that apply to to annual, or do do you have any sort of specific advice to that person about about what the best practices are? Certainly, certainly, yeah. So, you know, every every SaaS business, every every company, you know, with, even if it's box of the month, it's got a premium product, right? You can think of the annual kind of as that premium because it's so valuable to capture 12 months worth of revenue in one transaction. Um, so in terms of best practices, things just get elevated on, a, on for an annual plan, right? You might have your automatic messages going out, but you might also be tagging those subscriptions for your support folks to be reaching out at the same time, kind of on a, a more personal basis. So if that involves giving them a call, um, sending them a personal email, because those transactions are just so valuable. I mean, imagine a, a $20 a month versus, you know, let's pay, you know, 150 upfront annual, right? We lock them in, we've got a dunning process that only applies to one transaction, not 11 additional. Um, so make sure you've got those touch points enabled during the, uh, you know, the dunning process and the proactive approach, sending out communication to those customers. And then what I would also recommend is, is just the support element, right? Or even from a customer success standpoint, reaching out before renewal, make sure every everything is happy within the account, um, as well as post, make sure we can successfully process that invoice. So it's very common at the end of the day to have an annual package and a monthly package. 
Um, but overall, you know, the, the best practices remain the same. Things just get heightened a little bit for annual just because capturing that 12 months worth of revenue is just so important. Yeah, I think those are really good points. I know that the, um, you know, we, we use HubSpot and I know I have a, uh, um, a, I forget what they call them, but it's a customer success associate that's assigned to me that, that I hear from um, about two months before my my billing cycle is due. They're 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 real good about that. I don't I don't. She doesn't touch base very often during the year, but a couple months, um, she'll start sending me emails. So that's just to engage and just you know make sure that that relationship is strong. Um, okay, and then we're gonna we're coming up on here. I know you have a hard out uh, at the top of the hour, so I'm gonna give you a little bit of time to get ready for your next meeting. I'm gonna make this the last question. I thought this one was interesting, so we'll go ahead and uh, tackle this one. Um, the, the, this person uh, noticed that uh, some issuers tend to flag high ticket recurring charges as fraud, and he says he notices this mostly in um, uh, LATAM areas. Um, do you have any suggestions on how he can tackle this? Maybe something that he's uh, not thinking about? Yeah, yeah, let me start off. You know, LATAM is, is a difficult space, right? It's, it's a space that a lot of companies are trying to get into. It's an emerging market. Um, so nothing wrong there. The issue is just a lot of the gateways out there right now just are not optimized to work in the Latin America space. Um, so what this kind of boils down to is you need to find a local processor um, to you know whatever country you're you're working in, look for those local processors that can give you kind of that that upper hand, right? I've seen decline rates as high as seventy percent in LATAM, which is just huge. I mean, you can't do business when your decline rates are that high. So highly recommend you know getting in touch with a local processor, a local bank that can give you guidance. And then, you know, comes back to gateway routing, route your transactions in Latin America to that local processor. And you should see a much better decline rate than if you were just using your uh, United States processor for the same volume. Yeah, I think I think that's that's great advice. All right. Well, let's go ahead. I'm going to um, go all the way back up to the top real quick here and I'm going to put. Alex and Mai's email back up on the screen. If anybody has any questions um, that they didn't have a chance to ask or if a question occurs to them, they want to email um, either Alex or myself. Um, I, I know that both of us will do our best to get the answer out to you. If we don't know the answer, we'll, we'll definitely find somebody internal within our organizations that can answer the question for you. Um, and with that, I, th I thank you, Alex, for taking uh, for joining us today. I think this was a success. And um, thank you, everybody, for um, for sticking with us to the end. I, I appreciate it. I look forward to to doing another one of these next month. Thanks so much, Jared. Really appreciate you having us.